I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We Love to Watch presents perhaps the first pro-cop, pro-immigration movie. I'm sure it's not the first. <laughs> I we were I, I asked this question to you because it operates in such a weird political nexus of like tw- what you know what a movie 20 years ago could look like. Yeah, 90s era liberalism. <laughs> yeah, what what our liberalism looks like 20 years ago yeah. with like edge lord racism, mm-hmm. uh, pro gay panic, uh, gay panic, pro cop shit, <laughs> pro immig firmly pro immigrant, firmly pro slavery yeah, stuff. Yeah. And then uh, it's also starring a guy who, uh, like five six years later, would uh, reveal himself to be uh, the all worst. the racism, yeah, all, all the all the racism. What movie is that? What are we? Uh, doing? Lethal Weapon Four. It is where we love to watch from a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. We're still doing mini episodes for us, which is like at least an hour. Those are full yeah. episodes. Those are a full meal for some people, but we are overeaters. We yes. chomp tantric things. quickies, tantric quickies, uh, and we're doing Lethal Weapon Four. Um, let me ask you this: just to, to, let's get this out of the way. If there's a Lethal Weapon Five, if Mel Gibson finally makes his threatened Lethal Weapon Five that he would direct based on a script that Donner was working on before he died, or had some oversight on before he died. Are we covering that? <laughs> okay, so here's the problem with modern day Mel Gibson. Uh, I believe it was uh, two weeks ago. Um, we- two episodes, let's go, let's say. Because um, I don't know the release schedule this month. It's been weird. Um, I think we're releasing them we- in the order two, three, and then four. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> just, just. Oh, chronological? Chronological, yeah. I assumed it Not was... Alf- uh, kind of alphabetical, I, I, too, I think. <laughs> I assumed it was spiritual. Oh, okay. Um, but, Autobiographical. Uh, for sp- uh, yeah. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> but um, I will say that this movie is confounding in a specific way. It also was before we all knew that Mel Gibson was a specific kind of shithead. I talked uh, a couple episodes ago about Dragged Across Concrete being yeah. a very interesting sort of 70s style, everybody sucks, uh, noir kind of movie. Yeah. I have also started two or three latter day uh, Mel Gibson movies and gotten, I think, about eight minutes in and turned them off. Yeah. That smells like a Lethal Weapon 5 situation. It does got- a little bit, especially because it's going to be ex- very pro-cop and like a cop uh- – Cops are basically fucking uh, impossibly correct, infallible. doesn't matter who they point their guns at. As long as they get the job done, Peter, that's what matters. And these two get the job done. Uh, This is a weird lethal weapon one for me. So if we were doing autobiographical, I had seen the first movie when I was in junior high, friend sleepover situation. Um and then I never saw two and three until much later, but I saw four in theaters. Four is actually like um, I might I saw it with my dad, which and he was he was kind of a stickler for a lot of R-rated movies. So I would have been like 15, 14 when this movie, fifteen when this movie came out. But uh, this is like the 
The first three, and we talked a little bit about this, especially when it comes to two and three, but it's in one, too. Like, there's a whole pornography ring is, like, the whole crux of that movie. Like, this is very much a late 90s things where they, like, have removed sex and nudity in a way that was much more prevalent in the 80s and and early 90s. Uh, so, I saw this one. I saw one. Uh, and then I saw this one in theater. So, like, this was like – and this movie, the – I saw so many movies in theaters in 1998. I think I saw every single one I could. My dad had this pass that could get us into movies for free. It's a long story that I'm sure I've shared on the show before. But um, every single preview in 1998 had – it always showed the Lethal Weapon 4 preview. And the Lethal Weapon 4 preview – was mostly a minute of that first scene with the flamethrower guy uh, where he's doing the Bach like a chicken and then like a couple quick flashes of the stars doing stuff. And then the line and then the Chris, it kind of ends. I, I haven't even rewatched it. I saw it so many times. I could probably give you beat for beat like what scene comes where. But it ends with the Chris Rock like uh, – if you can't afford a lawyer, we're going to get you the dumbest – they don't say motherfucker – the dumbest lawyer we can get you. And if you get Johnny Cochran, I'll kill you. Uh, like, the, like I was – this this movie was everywhere and it was hugely successful. It's the second most successful one in the series after uh, three, which I think grossed um, $350 million worldwide. This one did $285 million. Now, it was against a $100 million budget versus a $30 million budget, but obviously still just from a gross perspective, an incredibly successful movie. And it was it was everywhere. I worked at, a, I worked at the video rental store when this came out as a new release. Just fucking wall of red everywhere, which this is – I, I a, remember this as well. This yeah. is a. I remember seeing the ad you're talking about. Yeah. I remember also seeing an ad that was advertising the concept of DVDs at heavily featured Lethal, Lethal Weapon 4. 4. Yeah, it was one. It was and one of the and first it had ones. that line where they both go, "It's beautiful." Yeah, like they they used that as a way to talk about how nice DVDs looked. I guess. Well, um, yeah. So Warner Brothers. This is so like specific trivia that may get cut out. I remember Warner Brothers had this deal with like. Because people, when they bought DVD players, it was like, well, I'm not going to have anything to watch. And so I knew tons of people that their first DVD player came with the same five movies. It was like Lost in Space, Lethal Weapon 4, and a a couple other ones that like always – We had that. We had a a perfect murder. Yeah. City of Angels. Yep. City of Angels was 100% one of them. Yep. Yeah. It was just like a a bunch of very of the moment movies. If you had a DVD player in 1998, you probably had – or 1998, 1999, you probably had those movies because everyone kind of got – like everyone I knew had those movies. Yeah. And uh, I watched Lost in Space a ton on VHS, so I was very pumped that we had the nice crisp-looking oh, yeah. version. I mean, you got to see that monkey in in digital video. Good lord! Um, I think Jar 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 Binks uh, perhaps got too much shit for how bad the monkey looks. Oh my god! I saw <laughs> I saw that movie from, like, three times. In, uh, another nineteen ninety eight movie, like I said. For, I, it's because I had access to a bike and I could just go drive to the movie theater. So like I was going to movies all the time in nineteen ninety eight. Um, but I saw Lost in Space three times in the theaters, uh, and I had the soundtrack because it was techno. Look back on our archives for why that may have mattered to young junior high Aaron. But um, yeah, th- so this movie was everywhere, and I- I'll tell you this: this is so specific, Peter, to a like a movie collector. I hated this movie on DVD because when I eventually got the other three Lethal Weapons, they come in that silver because you know they they get released post the 
it getting released they're in this like silver collectors the vhs's were like that too i think on a vhs and then since lethal weapon 4 comes out after it doesn't fit the aesthetic in any capacity it's just a big red yes. box um but this was also these are, these are the gross cardboard snap boxes right oh yeah yep 100 percent um Everyone loved those. <laughs> um, the, yeah, I had a Matrix one. I had... Um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Mortal Kombat. Shawshank Batman. Redemption. Yeah, yeah. yeah, those things were awful. Those, those, were, those were awful. I um, still own a few of them somehow. The other thing that like this movie... And I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak to this at a very big surface level, more as a movie goer in 1998 1999, as opposed to someone who has done any research or history on any of this. But this, I mean, so I actually went and re-looked at this. This was Jet Li's first American movie, which was actually somewhat surprising to me because he was very heavily featured in the trailer as like Jet Li. I didn't know who he was. 1998 is also when Rush Hour comes out, which is like the first big American movie of Jackie Chan. And then obviously next year we're getting stuff like The Matrix and other things that are not featuring these like martial arts actors from like Hong Kong and other places, but like heavily influenced by them. So this, uh, I remember very clearly thinking in, in when I saw lethal weapon four that it, this was, um, it was kind of a, a um, it was, it, it was, tr- it was becoming trendy to like have this sort of, like, I remember thinking that as a 15 year old moviegoer that like, I feel like I've seen, the year before, I'd seen no movies featuring martial artists against our against the our characters, and now like every movie was starting to have these actors who I who I wasn't familiar with at the time, but everyone a lot of people seemed to know. Like anytime they put an actor like Jet Li or Jackie Chan, like you're like, oh, this is someone. I don't know who these people are because I'm 15 and my parents aren't cool, but I should so I should know who these people were, and this uh, it. It, was it surprising to you going back that this was for like Jet Li actually it was, it was actually kind of sad looking over his filmography because I was he, doing that right now he's had a lot of America like I remember very clearly like Romeo Must Die and some of these other movies that came out that were like officially Jet Li starring vehicles he really has not had a good American, Western career a good West or he's been in a lot of stuff and most of it I, w- I either haven't seen or is pretty pretty derided like he never yeah. got his he never really got his uh, big star turn but yeah were you surprised to learn that this was there. his first I mean were you did you know this was his first American movie I did not at this point I my brother had shown me I want to say Black Mask he had he had been downloading random like uh, martial random. arts movies uh, dubbed yeah. like just uh, on the internet at that time um and uh he showed me yeah one one of the i think it was black mask but um i loved him i loved his screen presence i didn't see once upon a time in china though until long after i'd watched a bunch of his american movies and here's here's what i'll say there um the kind of i guess the thing that action movie nerds say is and it's specifically Jet Li and Jackie Chan. Let's let's focus on that. Is that um, they made great movies overseas? They were huge stars. Yeah, they came to America. They kind of had to grovel a little bit before they were given like star star roles. Yeah, and then they were never in America allowed to do the level of quality or the level of stunts that they were uh, they were able to do overseas. Yeah, Jet Li doesn't do much martial arts in this movie. 
Yeah. And Jet Li is largely retired now. Yeah. Um, so his career, like, peaked really in terms of, like, the movies that people remember for and respect him for. Yeah. Um, peaked in the early 90s, let's say. That's, yeah. like, when Once Upon a Time in China came out yeah. is 91. So, like, he was a huge star for the better part of a decade by the time he got, you know, Lethal Weapon and was ending up on the poster. And you're right. It's really not until... The end of the movie that you get to see Jet Li do anything that anything that a character actor couldn't do, like just holding a guy by the neck or putting a string around a guy's neck. Like a lot of this shit is shit that like even a character actor, sure, like that has no martial arts training or Steven Seagal modern, a modern Steven Seagal could do. I'm not saying he doesn't look good doing it because he has like an inherent flow and and smoothness to it, but he's not doing anything that you're like, oh, my God, that blew the lid off (coughs) the skull. The way that he was able to do overseas, the way that Jackie Chan was able to do overseas. I will say, just really quickly going through his Western movies. I haven't seen some of these in a while, but um, of his Western movies, I would say War, Romeo Must Die, The One, all the Expendables movies, Cradle to the Grave are all terrible. Bad movies don't represent him well. Um, But in Cradle to the Grave, X is going to give it to you. X X did in fact give it to us. Uh Rip X. Um but uh the movie sucks. Um <laughs> I've never seen it, shame. but I was very aware of the the song when it came out. It's better than Exit Wounds, the 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 movie that Steven the Seagal DMX did that Seagal. was in rap I remember, culture. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Quote unquote rap culture. Um I would say Lethal Weapon is better than all of those movies, for sure. But I will say, uh, I remember Unleashed, uh, a.k.a. Danny the Dog, being very good. And I have seen in the past 10 years, I've seen Kiss of the Dragon, which is um, sort of a, it's it's Western. Yeah. Um, it's it's more French than American. I think Kiss of the Dragon's really good. Okay. It's really impressive. I, I've never seen it, I, but I remember it was a big joke among me and friends because it didn't just say Kiss of the Dragon. It went K-O-D, Kiss of the Dragon. Like it's COD. <laughs> the movie's called COD. Uh, but uh, yeah. I never, I've never – uh, Yeah, I've never seen – And I've never seen Hero, which I know – Hero's a masterpiece. Yeah, but I know it's not a Western Hero, movie, but I, I – That and Fearless are both like the sort of movies that got made more because China was coming into the – um, a legitimacy uh, in America. Yeah. Um, and they got released be here because everyone Matrix. was trying to find the next Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, too. Which yes, which was he, an attempt was, to, yeah. to milk the Matrix yeah. vibe. Like, um, people, the, you know, they kept trying to find, like, do people want 13th Floor or do they want crazy wire foo action? It turns out kind of neither, but at least Crouching Tiger had a, and, and a Hero had a moment, you know? Yeah, so I want to talk about something that you messaged me about this movie because what I think is really interesting is that I remember liking this movie that I got to go see it in theaters and also feeling like it felt like a four. Like, you know, even even in my uh, my young critical mind, like it felt – I mean, I'd seen the first Lethal Weapon, which we, is like a very like hard-boiled noir. And this felt like a weird family comedy with some cop stuff. And yes. very sentimental. And, like, I liked some of it, but I never, like, loved it except that I got to go see it. And then when I went and saw two and three later on, probably in the next couple years or so, I I, 
I did kind of accept this from like this is a latter day sequel that just doesn't hit the highs in any capacity and just fundamentally feels like kind of a different movie, which again is not that shocking. It is uh, Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 are very much of a piece. Lethal Weapon 3 is like the buddy comedy we talked about that everyone remembers tonally, but I still think it has a little bit more like there's a fucking uh, steamy like sex scene and like it has it has some harder edge and this feels like a PG-13 movie where they say fuck a lot and beyond that it just it it feels really different and it was at the time that Hollywood was kind of watering down more stuff like we we've talked on this show about how like post 9/11 like R-rated movies almost entirely disappeared for a while or any sort of like big budget R-rated movies and like the kind of like even like movies that were riffing on slashers which were known in the 80s as like gore and nudity like there's no nudity in any scream movie there's no nudity in urban legend there's no nudity in like it, it became more like you know it, it just it felt like sex was really be, uh in in r-rated movies was really falling out of fashion which is probably in some cases a good thing because some of those a lot of those horror movies from the 80s are exploitive but it this felt <laughs> less adult to me than the other lethal weapon <laughs> Uh, movies you said to me though in a text um so i i always kind of had this as kind of a lower it's like lethal weapon one two three four four still fun but it felt like a step down i find it interesting to me that you said i feel like lethal weapon lethal weapon four is less consistent than three but its highs are higher even if its lows are lower and i'm i'm kind of surprised by that because after re-watching it I feel like the lows are lower than I remember and there's there's nothing quite on the level of like the hockey scene or the final shootout or some of the other or components. I like I'm interested when you say the highs are higher and I, I don't mean this to sound too derisive of a movie that I generally give three stars to and find fine. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can you can have worse ways to spend two hours, but um what were the high highs to you? <laughs> I think, okay, yeah, this is also a good way to speed yeah. to, to yeah. keep us in a tantric quickie yeah. zone. Uh, I Rewatching three, I really realized that there's like very few extended action sequences that are in any way memorable. And I, apart from the armor piercing round against the bulldozer thing at the end, it, end of Lethal Weapon 3. Yeah. I, I find most of it kind of inert. That's um, funny because, like, the motorcycle chase, I think, is great. The armored truck chase, the hockey scene. Like, I think all that stuff is, like, really good. The hockey scene is a great idea and then it's over in, like, a minute and a half. It's yeah. fast. I mean, um, I do like the highway scene in this movie, but I feel like that's it. But I, let, yeah, that, let's 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 highlight what scenes I think actually okay. like are really good. I think the opening is really exciting. Oh, I yeah, love the something opening. they haven't done. Yeah, um, I think that it's uh, really clumsy as a plot building device. But oh, we'll yeah. talk about that later. <laughs> Will um, we? Just might as well just say. Well, who knows if we'll get back to? So okay. In the beginning of the movie, they're like, we're having this exciting action sequence. And in the middle of it, they pause for like a minute. So Riggs and Mer- uh, more cars can get torched by this guy who's like. A flamethrower who's also wielding a compact assault rifle. Yeah. Um, he's just blowing shit up on us. He's just blowing shit up. He appears him. to be on some sort of, like, rampage against architecture. Yeah. Which, frankly, like, fine. Yeah. You know? Blowing, blowing up some property. It's basically a property yeah. crime. 
Um, and he doesn't appear to kill anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a very bloodless movie. <laughs> I mean, but, until um, it's not, I guess. But I'm mostly teasing, but like, I think off screen, he probably killed some people. But like, yeah. it is a scene where it's most mostly about stopping the chaos, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a cool sequence where like, they have to figure out how to kill a guy who's like coated in a suit of armor yeah. and like Riggs's bullets are bouncing off. Yeah. Um, and then, but in the middle of that, they decide to establish the whole plot of the movie, which is that, um, uh, Riggs and, and, uh, Lorna are pregnant. Yeah. And, and then. And somehow Roger knows. Somehow Roger knows. And then Roger's daughter, Rianne, is pregnant and he doesn't know who the father is, but it's Chris Rock. And, and Riggs finds out that it's Chris Rock. But hold on, but Riggs knew that he was going to be a grandpa. So they're telling each other. because they're debating who's going to sacrifice They both have secrets, and then they end up in this traumatic situation where they just, like, start spewing information at each other. But, like, the movie started at, like, an eight. Yeah. And then it s- slows down to a four to be yeah. like, you're going to be a father. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're going to be a grandfather. You can't sacrifice, because they're debating who's going to sacrifice themselves. And here's why they both have reasons. Well, sorry, I guess you can't either. It's, yeah. it's stupid that they both know that information about the other person. Um. But yeah, I okay. So uh, that that is a high with a low. I agree. Yeah. What, yeah, what right were some of the other? What were the other? Watching highs? that big yeah. gas truck blow up. And uh, oh, it's great under it. Yeah, it's a great shot. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, the highway scene is really good. I remember there being so basically in the highway scene, they end up fighting. They don't have guns, and they end up fighting inside a segment of a home that's being moved i believe yeah. it's like an extension off yeah. of like i think it's like a double wide it's like yeah, an extension off home. of a trailer yeah, yeah. it's it, but it's like you know a mobile home and it's cut it's cut in out. half so it's just a, a tarp and but you can see inside yeah. basically like a kitchen but yeah. you're you know on the highway yeah um and it's a cool place to have a fight scene i forgot that only he only fights one guy in that room you <laughs> know um, and then he's just dangling I, off the back of the truck on the – which is good and a good practical yeah, which effect. Yeah, is also cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is a cool practical effect. There's only like one or two shots where I was like stunt double. Um, yeah, the HD, a lot of shots. The, a, the HD sort of gives away more than I think it did. It's like yes. that's not his hair at all. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Maybe his like nose and chin look like yeah. uh, Mel Gibson. But, Give like, him the, the same hair color. Off. Yeah. Yeah. I think nowadays they would digitally change yeah. the hair color or whatever. Yeah. But the, the point is um, – like that's a cool sequence, and it's just a cool concept. It's high. It's a high concept. Good. Co- you good feel co- the sense of speed. It feels fast. It's nowhere near the highway scene in Matrix Reloaded. No. Um, which fucking rules. Um, and then, uh, I do like. I really like. The I, I do like the part where they go. Th- like, obviously, there's the whole thing about them driving through an office building populated by people, and because they don't want the guy to get away fucking rigs pushes on the gas is like just move like yes no one got hurt but uh yes yeah i mean i do like that stunt of them going through and flying out the other side of the building to land on the highway like it's that is a good scene i would say that throughout the course of these movies they turn more into fascist pro cop propaganda because in this movie they make a joke out of the idea that these guys would be promoted and and that they'll be promoted because they need a way to keep them off the streets. Like, you're too dangerous to have a, 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 a you know, like, an actual detective job. We need you in an office. Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's a weird propaganda point for the movie to make. And then turn it into... But, like, the thing is, like, we talked about in the first movie how, like, 
Uh, because it's kind of in a noirish world and it's dark and all the characters are kind of miserable until like the almost yeah. the end of the movie, it, it it it's hard to process as as copaganda as closely. Um, yeah, we talked and, about Mel Gibson is not a respected member of the police force. He is a no. I mean, he's a he literally is a loose cannon in a cannon they don't know what to do with, and they give him to Murtaugh so that hopefully he can stop him from killing himself or, or people. Yes. And, uh, which is his own indictment of the, and by the fourth one, they don't even like wink at the idea that these guys are reckless and recklessly endangering the public more than they are stopping anybody. Like they're not even winking at the idea. It's just pure, a pure joke. Yeah. And, and that scene where they're driving through an office that's fully populated. I'm like, wait, no one was like, what if it's an empty office? That would be cathartic. What if it's a Saturday? Like, yeah. And they're honking what the they... horn. And, what if, and Riggs doesn't even try to slow down. He pushes on the gas so they can make the jump out. <laughs> yes. Like, as I... people literally throw their bodies out of the way of this police car. And it's Very different drafting. scene if it just bumps a little bit at one point. Yes. And it's all drafting tables. It's yeah. not cubicles. And I can guarantee if it was cubicles, they would have killed at least 17 yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And I, I think that, but I think that that is an exciting action sequence. You feel the sense of pace. And I think that once the final action sequence kind of builds the stakes, like Butters gets shot and um, Chris Rock gets shot and Jet Li's brother gets shot. Um, I think that that final fight with Jet Li is great. And I also love, so while we're parked there, um, and then I'll let you say if you think that sucks or not. Um, the... Final sequence is, like, brutal and bloody and gross that the rest of the movie has not been. Yeah. And um, you really get to see a movie about guys that are retiring that embraces the fact that they're retiring and that they're old and they're yeah. less they're less virile because there's a problem with the Expendables movies. And the reason the Expendables movie sucks is because the literally the name of the movie is a lie. They do not go through and kill... A bunch of um, you know action, action movie royalty. Stars, yeah. They don't. They tr- they could not even kill Dolph Lundgren in the first movie. They they just they can't do it. I don't know what it is. If Steven Seagal feels bad, but I think. But a lot of it is that these are action stars who have specific are used to specific contracts, and they are used to not getting hurt. Not yeah. getting uh, not dying on screen. Looking not cool. behaving poorly on screen. Yes. Always looking cool and sexy and, like, that's the point. And to see uh, this fight at the end of the movie where it takes both of the cops cheating to beat Jet Li, like, I love that shit. I love that literally Murtaugh has to run him through with a rusty rod and Riggs has to shoot him with an AK-47 for for the fight to be over. Yeah. So I... I think that's that's a great thing for a movie to do, especially as Jet Li was kicking off his career in America. So I like the scene and I do really like that thing where they're like, we don't have to fight this guy. What are we even doing? Maybe he gets away. We'll find him some other time. We're not going to take him. Do you see that stuff? I I mean, I kind of want to ask him how he did that. Like, that is a funny uh, exchange. And I think that fight to the point is the exchange is, is good. I think the rest feels really small for a movie that cost a hundred or $150 million. Like interesting. The it feels so much bigger than three for me though. Oh, I don't think so. Where they're doing the whole thing at the giant, like it, it feels like they're in a cramped warehouse hallway. It always felt like they ran out of money because like three, 
They have fucking bulldozers. They have this giant scale. They have tons of extras. They're in like this cramped little like hallway thing. And then at the end, they're just by the docks, which is like where Ninja Turtles 2 ends. <laughs> like there's no one else around suddenly. And it's just, you know, it uh, it, it always it, – I mean, I remember thinking this at the time, how small it felt compared to – the kind of giant climaxes of not just Lethal Weapon movies, but I think just, like, what we expect from action movies. And I think that's fine. Like, I really like the uh, low-key confrontation. Like, the confrontation with Jet Li is really good, but I – and I like Mel Gibson coming there and ruining this deal and being like, I fucked you, and then everyone starts shooting at each other. But from there, it just feels like one guy hiding behind a post and, like, where did everyone else go? Like, we see his brother die. There's, like, 50 people there. In Lethal Weapon 3, there's like 50, 60 people at this giant construction site. And I feel like you get a sense of how many people there are. And I feel like everyone goes away except the main characters. Like, I I don't know. It, it feels small for like it feels, the end of It feels Lethal. bigger to me than, than 3, actually. I think that's because the action sequences are a little longer. Like, Maybe. The shootouts do do stretch out a little bit longer than three, where three tries to be like fast and no. furious, like a tr- not uh sorry lowercase fast, uh, no ampersand, yeah, A and D, yeah, lowercase furious, yeah. Um, uh they tries to be more fast and furious. It tries to be more like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, four four guys are dead. Scenes over, and then they start going through their wallets to find out, you know, who they were working for, right? Yeah. Like that that action scene at the hockey rink. It really is like is is like you can smell them burning cash because they're like, let's get this, let's get this over with. Yeah. Um. In this, I feel like the the action sequences, like there's like a sense of like pace and they're stretching it out and they're sitting in the locations mm. for a while like and it's a long it's a long action movie um, yeah, it's very yeah by, it's, a, it's the longest of all these movies it's by like, the 90s standards yeah. and by the lethal weapon standards yeah. by modern standards it's breezy as shit it's not a two hour and 20 minute movie that for some reason wasn't edited down <laughs> yeah i don't know it, it, it feels smaller to me and it's not that I, again it's not that I, there's not things to like i think also part of the problem is that most Lethal Weapon movies following the climactic action sequence are over. And this one – so this one does two things in the end that really are annoying. The first one, after he's underwater with Jet Li – and this is such a fucking cinema sense thing and it actually – this did not bother me at all. But I did think it was funny that like Jet Li's choking him underwater. <laughs> like, oh no, he won't be able to breathe. Um, I'm sure it's annoying to have your windpipe being squeezed when you're underwater even if you're not trying to breathe. But um, it for some reason it struck me as like, wait. <laughs> he's, he's not cutting off. Neither of them can breathe. Um, yeah. Is that is that that he might break his windpipe? I mean, that's, I mean I'm sure that's I'm land. sure that's what it is. It's a vulnerable spot. Maybe like as because of that feeling, you're reflexively gasping for air. But for in, a, in the moment, it felt very funny to me. What I think is super dumb that I hate after he has this, he kills Jet Li. They extend the action sequence a little more where he's climbing out, and as he's climbing out, the concrete falls on him, and Murta has to jump in and save him. And that just feels like so like it's like a hat on a hat on a hat at that point. It's like we knew he wasn't dying. He's not dying from falling in the concrete after all this shit. Like, did you need another three minutes of like put it in there? Let's we want Mur- like Murta already yeah. saved him by like he already saved him. He was getting choked to death on land. 
by Jet Li and Murtaugh ran him through with the steel pipe while he was focused on that. So, like, you don't even – it's like a weird, like, I need to save him again. It, it's 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 It extends it and I think it actually ruins the actual climax, which should be he finally killed Jet Li and he gets to swim up to safety and then, oh, no – Another thing <laughs> fell and there's more problems. So I think maybe that It'd be like of- after at the end of Lethal Weapon One after they kill uh Gary Busey, um if Riggs uh slipped, slipped. in a puddle and broke his nose. <laughs> oh no and You're like, oh oh my god, <laughs> is his nose gonna be straight again? Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> so I feel like that is such a weird anticlimax after a weird that maybe it takes away from the scene for me. But also, it they, is a hat on a hat. It's it's too much. It's also, too like we much. just got the catharsis, and now it's just a distraction. It's also the same thing. You don't need Murtaugh if you're just like I want Murtaugh to save him. That just happened. <laughs> like, why? He just constantly needs to save him every two minutes so you remember that these guys are good pals. Um, or if you want Murtaugh to be involved in the final fight, have Murtaugh come underwater and shoot him. Yeah, like, like as he's getting choked again. Like, this guy cannot stop saving this guy when he's getting choking. No land, nor sea, no air. He'll stop. But then I also think it it the movie should fundamentally be over, but because the most sidelined uh, character ever from what movie to the next, Rene Russo. I guess maybe like Last Jedi. To, there's probably some characters in there. But um, Rene Russo has nothing to do with this movie. They do remind you that she is not just a damsel in distress, uh, distress pregnant wife when she kicks a couple people, which is nice. Because um, she is a ninja, as we talked about in the, in the third movie. Mm-hmm. But like... They have that whole thing where now there's this plot of like, should we get married and we have to go have this kid? There's the the ending of this movie is the the emotional catharsis after all of that is then you have Mel Gibson go to the grave of his wife to ask permission to marry Rene Russo. And Joe Pesci comes there and tells a story about a frog that he used Froggy. to love. Froggy. And and he's He's noting that, like, it's okay that I have new friends and you guys and you guys aren't Froggy because it's okay that I'm not trying to replace Froggy with you guys. I'm You're just different and it's okay to have a frog friend and two cop friends. And, like, theoretically, that could be a funny speech. It is mostly played for sentiment and it's happening when you are like, why is this movie still going on? And then there's a whole nother scene in the hospital where they do a – all of a sudden Rene Russo, who's been totally cool with them not being married, is like, not only do I actually want to get married. Thank you for asking, by the way. I don't want to have this baby if I'm not married. So let's enlist a rabbi who's walking while I'm in the process of giving birth. So that we can do a sentimental marriage scene and take a family photo at the – like, it is – speaking of hats on top of hats, this movie tries to be like, hey, guys, you do love these people. And, like, just keeps yeah. – it's – it really, do, like – and- Do you know what the final one is? <laughs> what? It's it's truly the worst needle drop, I think, since the movie Flight um, that I can think of. Uh, oh, why can't it's why can't we be friends over like it's pictures why, why of can't all we be friends at the end where I'm like, 
They just ended the movie with the quote, "We're not friends, we're family." Why can't we be friends? And then it's and then why, it's, why, it's, it's also all, a funny response. It's a call and response. <laughs> well, are we family? Why can't we be friends? <laughs> it does feel like just a it's total. Cool. And so maybe that's why I also think like the ending is sort of because it's like regardless of what you think of the action sequence. And I said there is some. It feels small to me, but there's some really good stuff in there. Um, and some really annoying stuff in there. They end with 15 more minutes of attempted emotional climax after emotional climax to let you know that everyone here is going to be <coughs> is going to be fine. And it is like that was the part where it's like, can this movie end? Like, yeah. why are they doing more of this stuff? And again, some of it, if you did it in the middle of the movie, like when Rene Russo and Mel Gibson are traveling with the kid. Before they almost get the exact, like, don't go to those train tracks. The triads just wait next to those specific tracks. Uh, uh, Which also tra- has the easiest out ever. Just go forward. No, no, he figured it out immediately. Just, yeah, I'm just going to drive. I'm just going to drive fast. But, like, they could have had that conversation then and said, let's go get married. And, you know, after they stop. Like, it is It is so much at the end that it, it also just feels kind of anti- like, it feels very in tune with what everyone was feeling making this movie, which was probably a sense of camaraderie and family and fun. But it also feels so like, I don't need ten happy endings. Oh, good. Not yeah. only is he having a kid and everyone's safe, uh, they're married. And Joe Pesci is telling you what makes him tick in a weird – like, it, it's it's so much. So, it, it's what not, I'll say about a, a couple things about yeah. the ending. One – you can have a scene with Briggs by the grave, shove yeah. it right at the beginning of the third act to like maybe like have a pace come down and then you go into the last action sequence, whatever. Fine. The froggy story should absolutely be cut, objectively <laughs> speaking. I am just saying, just hear me out, that Joe Pesci's a really good actor. And for like a quarter of a second, I was like... I do want to hear the story about the fucking frog because Joe Pesci is a fucking great actor and he just turns into he's no longer that character anymore. Yeah. He's not the annoying, high-strung asshole yeah. who literally like he'll complain about what type of caviar is at a party or whatever. Like he's just an asshole. And then all of a sudden he gives a speech to him and I'm like, wait, why didn't we get more Joe Pesci time? Yeah. Doing is- this shit in a place that actually matters. Again, they are like, they're like... Look, I know we have Joe Pesci, one of the best actors in the world, and we have Rene Russo, also a fantastic actor. And Joe Pesci has been our comic relief. I said this last week. Like, this is where the the movie really goes off the rail. What if we don't do anything with those two at all? Which is actually funny because they, they actually have an interesting reason for Leo Getz to be around in this movie. He becomes a PI, which makes so much sense. He idolizes these two. And he's like, I can't be a cop, but I could become a private investigator. They could have figured out a way for him to actually be working on the case instead of a real estate agent that hangs around. Like, they could have done that, and we would have had more Joe Pesci being forced to work with them that worked so well in, in Lethal Weapon 2. Instead... Exactly. He's so good when he's like, there's a house in the hills, yeah. and like, Joe Pesci's so good. And they have found a reason for him to exist in this movie, and then they say, forget all that, we got Chris Rock. Let's just let him say whatever he wants for the entire fucking movie. And I like Chris Rock. I do. This is not Chris Rock's fault. But, Chris Rock is a lead balloon in this movie that is like, if the character... 
who is trying to sexually harass Murtaugh in the in the opening of Lethal Le- Weapon 3 was like, let's give her 40 minutes of screen time. Because and a lot is, of it is like eight seconds of a stand-up bit. It's so much of it. Just do your act, man. Like, just do... Like, it, it is... It is... I I think I probably liked it when it came out because I liked Chris Rock and I liked this. But, I mean, I can't think of anything that holds up worse in the Lethal Weapon movies than, than fucking... I mean, that's not true. There's a lot of homophobia. <laughs> Never mind. Forget... There's a ton of things that don't hold up well. But, like, for pure, like, every time he's on screen... Visceral, I wanna, just... Ugh, like I want to kill myself. It's like... Uh, I need a Murtaugh to watch me when Chris Rock is on screen because it is brutal. It's worse than like it is. We talked about it feeling like a lead balloon and I then watching it. He's so much screen time. He has so much dialogue. He they're like, forget about Joe Pesci. Forget about everyone. Let's just let Chris Rock explain why he became a cop. If and do a stand-up bit about growing up in the projects for three minutes on a car ride. It's Peter. It's so bad. So okay. So uh, Chris Rock, as an actor in movies, has largely had a terrible career. Um, he's like momentarily funny and Pootie Tang. He, uh, yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I don't, he's annoying as shit in Dogma too. Like he is, uh, but. Uh, he, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, he had a chance to become, like, a... People like, I he, think I love my wife, right? That he wrote and directed. I think so. But I think 10 years ago, he had a and chance to become a, what I think probably, like, a, basically, a, like, a black Woody Allen. He wrote um, and directed Top 5, which is a good, but not And, and I movie. think I love my wife, which was a remake yes. of a French film. Yes. Um, which I think people like both of those still, but yep. you know, <clears throat> um, good but not great movie. And I remember at the time being like, if this is Chris Rock's new direction, he uses stand up to make a bunch of money, and then he makes um, ten to twenty million dollar uh, comedies that are just sort of v- very personal, and they're about his life in Hollywood or his life as a comedian or some aspect of his existence that he wants to play on. Like that's a great direction for his career. And then he immediately was like. You know, what if I was in garbage? Doing garbage is really easy. Remained a, a pretty mediocre stand-up after that. Like he did not. Uh, it did not uh, impress. Which is not. I mean, to, even yeah. I mean, if a fifty-six-year-old stand-up is usually, unless you're George Carlin, it's. I mean, yeah. Him and Jerry Seinfeld hang out and talk about how uh, college campuses are too sensitive or whatever. Yeah. Um, I actually, but, like, Spiral from the Book of Saw is, like, I mean, I, I do really like those movies, even if they're all three-star movies, basically. But, like, I like I like the thing that they do. I, really, I don't mind him doing that direction to be, like, can I really liked him in that. Yeah. Like, you – did you see Spiral? You're not going. No. Um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm seven Saw movies behind. Okay. Um – but like I liked him in in Spiral. He's not doing Chris Rock bits. He is like you know, and he has a, a he has an older, more tired face, and like he's he's world weary, and like it, it works really well. I wish I know that was only a couple years ago, but he really hasn't uh, done that. He did play Cat Rebel in the Paw Patrol, the Mighty movie, which I saw in theaters. Um, oh, so he's pro cop. Well, he really plays. He, well, here's the thing: he plays Cat, one of the cats, which oh. are, which are the antagonists. 
to also I know this sounds like a tangent we don't need to go off on like there's one cop there's also fire, a fireman <laughs> like those those <clears throat> I saw someone on um Twitter say this that was like look I am as anti-cop of the most of them. All of you directing your energy against Paw Patrol are wasting your fucking time, and I've never <laughs> seen an episode of the show. <laughs> yes, I also agree that uh, it's it's uh, one of those cultural battlegrounds that uh, is completely unnecessary. Yeah, there's a guy uh, that recycles. There's a construction worker. There's a fireman. There's a girl. All the different jobs you can have. <laughs> 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 uh it was very funny with my nephew who loves paw patrol yeah um we were playing paw patrol and he gave me the the guy that's like a dump truck or whatever the recycling guy <laughs> yeah. um yeah he doesn't and, have uh, a dump truck <laughs> well he might have yeah. temporary custody he's not julia roberts truck. and mystic pizza <laughs> he <laughs> operates a dump truck um and then uh to my wife molly uh he handed her the small pink dog and i I was like i I was like oh well what if she wants to be a firefighter or whatever and my my nephew just goes i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) uh she i mean she she has so maybe paw patrol should be attacked on gender levels more than well for what it's worth they have introduced two new female characters from the original five that is such a problem of all like if you're watching a theoretically like <laughs> police psychologist, for- <laughs> police secretary. <laughs> yeah. There's a if you're watching though a show that's theoret theoret this has always been a problem, theoretical theoretically aimed at boy children. Um it's they still have the problem of like, oh yeah, you get April Ren- O'Neill or RC, like you get like it's like the this, the this, the this, the girl. <laughs> like just in well, case girl turtles, just in case some about? girl could like dogs, we'll put a girl <laughs> character in there, but like it's for guys. Yeah. Uh dogs are for we, guys. What, we also know there's there's no there's no female turtles so it's impossible for there to be a female ninja turtle yeah they actually they have done a little bit better at that and here's the thing about paw patrol i'm not defending it because it is fucking it's just a boring terrible show that i can understand what kids like because every 10 minutes they just go do a rescue that's all they do they do rescues Great. I had like eight jokes about the cop that I then decided I didn't want to say because it would bring down this show quite a bit, I think. So that's why the uh, yes. the pause. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on Chris Rock in this movie? He uh, am I overstating does, okay. it? There's not. No, no, no. There's not a single moment that he works. Uh, he somehow gets to. Um, he gets to do. He's the third several roles person. In this movie. He gets to be the most annoying character, it, it, which is really interesting that he gets to swoop Joe Pesci, um, who's getting more annoying every movie. Um, oh yeah, they they don't he, they don't say this. Hold on, really quickly on Joe Pesci. They don't like no one says this, but Joe Pesci clearly made a decision, or the screenwriter made a decision that he was going to talk in like clueless slang. Whatever, no. whatever, whatever, whatever. Talk to the hand. It's the worst. He says, and he also calls people like jerks and stuff. And I'm like, were they editing it down? Because he used to call people cocksuckers. I know. Like, he used to call people <laughs> actual, you know, slurs dash insults. Now he just calls people jerks. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, which it's honestly, terrib- though, if Joe Pesci called me a jerk, I would all, I would wither. You would evenly. jerk off. Yeah. You jerk. If he did that to me, I'd die. Yeah. Um, so... 
what I'll say about that is that so he's not just the most annoying character in the movie. He's also a character that's most unnecessary because he just comes in and drops stand up bits about how he hates his cell phone. Um, and then you just watch all the other characters just sit around and be annoyed at him. Um, or sometimes be amused by his like the amount of reaction shots for Mel Gibson and Danny Glover kind of smiling at his four minute comedy bit in the backseat of a car. Or even, like, he's the one that gets to antagonize Joe Pesci. There's almost no yeah. antagonist. Like, that's the dynamic. And instead, he's like, what? you?" He's like, he just accuses Joe Pesci of being racist for three minutes and drops stand-up bits about, And then like, points a gun at him. And points a gun at him. So, and then a he, black so man gets, can't wear a suit? Oh, my God. Are we doing this? So, he does the, the police brutality. He does the police brutality worse than Riggs and Murtaugh. So, he yeah. takes that from them. Um, he also does in the back of the car, he talks about why he's a cop. And it's because he had a lot of crime in his neighborhood. Thus, continuing a thread from Lethal Weapon 3 um, that these movies believe in the myth of uh, uh, black on black crime or black genocide. Yeah. Um, that, that cops real stop. problem. Cops stop the real crime. Pro- problem in inner city crime yeah. is because black people are shooting black people. And it's not. We have major systemic problems. And also uh, all races kill their own race. That's just kind of a thing. And also over policing in black neighborhoods is like actually the big problem. <laughs> yes. So we uh, he gets to be sort of symbolic of all the worst excesses of the series and he gets to come in in the last one. And then also like they just stuff him in something that he's ideally sorry. He's just like uniquely not suited for, which is he gets to be the dad to Murtaugh's grandkids grandkid. Yeah. And so he also fails completely as like a sentimental figure because yeah. he's just like completely he's he gets one scene with her too where they have to pretend they don't know each other like there's no like the person who was shooting commercials ends up with like chris rock yeah yeah in this movie yeah it it doesn't make a lick of sense um but chris rock dates beautiful women in real life so you can't debate it it's objectively what happens Um, oh i just meant like chris rock as his character in this movie (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Not like, like I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying like yeah, Chris Rock. What an uggo. I'm just saying like <laughs> I think she could do better. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, yeah. I think she could do better on every level because he is. Uh, He's the worst. He, he exhibits. He exhibits the worst excesses of this series and the worst excesses of uh, this movie's uh, cop sins. Somehow, yeah. uh, he also is the only mem- cop that I think comes right out and says, "Stop! Uh, stop running, you Chinese motherfucker." <laughs> Yeah. Can't he just be a motherfucker? I mean, that is the weird thing where it's like, well, it's not racist if another the non-white person says it. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be racist yeah. against. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, they also have that like, again, that part that was in the previews that was just overplayed. The like reading your rights to someone, but he's like also doing a stand up bit about how he doesn't want to have people shouldn't have rights. Yeah. If you can't afford a lawyer, we're going to get you the dumbest motherfucker. Like, I don't think it's going to hold up in court, bud. Yeah, like, I don't think so. If you get Johnny Cochran, I will kill you. Why would he get Johnny Cochran? <laughs> like, it's just, it. it's, it's great. It's grating. It's, yeah, it's so, it's bad. So, and yeah, they do just make him like, again, it's, uh, I said this in Lethal Weapon 3. We can, we can be done with the Chris Walk talk. But I, I think the, <clears throat> the warning signs were there where they were like, we always need a Leo Getz type character to play off their dynamic because they're not. Anti- Murton Riggs are no longer antagonistic against each other, 
they are sometimes like jokingly antagonistic, but they're on the same side. So they need someone who they're shitting on because that's a funny dynamic. And that's true. That works well in Lethal Weapon 2. Lethal Weapon 3, they, they're like every scene, they're like, well, who's the person they're shitting on? If, if Leo Getz isn't there, we need the person driving the armored car or something like that. And that like inclination to just keep adding those pieces as opposed to finding relevant ways to use the characters that you have in a cast that's gotten very big is like how we got Chris Rock being like, just do Chris Rock shit. Everyone loves him. We added Joe Pesci. That was great. We added this person. It was great. Like it, the seeds of their own destruction, I think, were planted in three, and then they really swung very. They <laughs> they put all their money on on Chris Rock. Yes, and so that's what the we talked about the low lows of this movie. The other low lows is that this movie contains not just the worst scene in the entire series, but one of the worst scenes in cinema history, and certainly one of the worst scenes in um, cop interrogations. Um, because it's not just that it's the most, it's not the most brutal cop interrogation, but it is, um, the two cops interrupt a dentist appointment for Uncle Benny, who is an older Chinese man who's a criminal of some kind. I don't know. He runs, he runs dope or he runs smack or he runs one of the, one of the slang words. Um, he runs crystal. The hot juice. (laughs) He runs hot juice. (laughs) He runs the devil's lettuce. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He does. He does bad drug stuff. Uh, it's kind of vague. You, they just tell you he's a criminal. This movie has a real anti-Chinese problem while also being pro-Chinese immigration. And um, Uncle Benny is a character who's played exclusively for racist laughs about his accent and yeah. that he can't say fried rice without switching the R's to L's. And you see, it's funny because uh, his front is a restaurant, Peter. Yes, so it's, it's, a, it's you can see why it'd be hilarious if a guy who ostensibly owns a restaurant can't pronounce a common dish to I mean, everyone understands what he's saying because that's how communication works. But he says it a little bit different than some other people. And you can understand why that would be just the funniest fucking thing. In comedy gold, my friend. Yeah. Uh, something that uh, would have been perhaps a little too on the nose in a 1940s comedy. <laughs> Um, I mean, at least uh, the 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 progressive change there is that uh, Benny's played by someone of actual Asian descent and not Mickey Rooney. <laughs> yeah, like uh, in in a Christmas story when they have a a joke like this, um, the family like l- like is uh, not creating the situation and throwing slurs at them. The family is like enjoying Christmas dinner and excited about the duck and they're clapping when the song's over. Like there's it's like it's it's also not OK, really, at the end of Christmas story, I would say it falls on yeah. if it's if there's a, if there's an OK, not OK binary, I would say it's not OK. But like stuff that people make fun of or highlight as examples of anti-Asian discrimination in movies, anti-Asian racism in movies. I feel like this movie doesn't pop up very often, but there's literally a scene where they get uh Benny so high on laughing gas that he stops being able to uh, speak yeah. uh, English without a bunch of um, racist errors. And then he just starts singing a ver- a falsetto Chinese song and he just turns into like a yellow menace caricature because that's what the script does. And then they both do the voice that he's making back to them in a double character. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's 
truly like the not it, it is i'm i'm not joking it's one of the worst cop interrogation scenes in movies because it is just them throwing racism at a character and getting him so high that he just spews a night like truly it feels like when you're watching an old movie and you're like oh that is a that is a racist black caricature that they made a black man yep. do. That's not how that black actor yeah, actually if, speaks. Like yeah. it's it's on that level. It, it very much so. If this was a if this was a nineteen forties Looney Tunes cartoon, it would be like presented on HBO Max if it was there at all, with like a warning about like we're, we're preserving this to understand that times have changed and this was never yes. okay like yes. this this movie this movie needs that like right before this scene like we recognize it was wrong it was wrong at the time and it's wrong now and yes, yes. we understand it's 1998 but uh yeah it's 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 like a, a, a chinese minstrel show like that's what it feels yes. like it's, it's, it's it is you said it faster than me it's it's yeah. chinese minstrelry um very gross um, this movie also has, uh, I feel like this would be a fun theme month, which is just, um, leftover Cold War antagonism. Yeah. Which this movie has a bunch of leftover <coughs> Cold War anger at, uh, at Red China. Um, and the only time they show China at all is, um, uh, it's basically like a, a murder fuck puddle. Yeah. Uh, that's just mud and murder and rain and fuck. It's yeah. just bad and fuck. It's yeah. it's a prison camp with a bunch of marching faceless guards in the mud, and then a murderer comes in and talks to another murderer, being escorted by murderers, presumably. Like it's just it's just such a it's just such a, a demonic presentation of an yeah. entire country that like now they don't do because we sell movies to China. I hope it's also because people would recognize it's racist, but like we don't do those depictions of China anymore because like there's a capitalist incentive not to. Yeah. But yeah, there, there was a real, like that was like, they're like, well, the Russians are old news. And it was like, who are all the villains in our action movies? And it was basically like Muslims and China. Like those were yeah. the two, the two groups it was like, it's fine to just do whatever to these people. Um, yeah, True Lies really was on the forefront, I think. Uh True Lies and I think it's Delta Force 1 or 2. One of the one of them is a uh, has a a plane hijacking anti-Islam bent and uh True Lies also has an anti-Islam bent. Really on the cutting edge. I mean there there's a lot of turning them into into easy caricatures. Yeah, it uh yeah, cuz I mean you have to kind of I don't know, like a it it I it, I do think it'd be an interesting topic because there is a lot of these movies that were like I don't know Russia's not scary anymore Boris Yeltsin seems nice China like yeah uh, and then there was also the whole there's uh, there's probably like a subgenre of movies that like dealt with because didn't Hong Kong return to China in 1998 so there was I think a lot of movies that were trying to capitalize on that and this movie steps into that and then if it was trying to comment or do anything with it. It's almost non-existent. It's just kind of like it's mentioned a few times and I can't help but think there's probably a version on the cutting room floor where somehow the general and like this has something to – and the triads has something to do with like the the uh, transition of power for Hong Kong. But I – It's possible these world triad triad leaders that got arrested because of – yeah, the trans – I like – there's lots of great – 
Hong Kong movies about that. Like, yeah. I think Infernal Affairs 2 and 3 are about that. Johnny yeah. Toe made a movie about that. Like, it's a, there's a, there's a lot of good movie, uh, uh, actual Chinese movies made yeah. about it. I think most American movies that are kind of in that milieu are like, um, <laughs> yeah, racists. I don't yeah. know how else to say it. Um, yeah, I think. So, oh, the flip ahead. side of this coin is, uh, a, neoliberal um open wound kind of sympathy for immigrants which i yeah. think is like adds a sweetheart to this movie yeah um which is that uh Murta recognizes um indentured servitude quote unquote as slavery and he says like my people were slaves like yeah. this is it's obviously a imprecise or you know sort of clumsy idea that you know like it's a very neoliberal kind of a, a, a approach to the topic but it ends up in the right place which is yeah. that like people were being human trafficked here to do indentured servitude for an indefinite period of time before they are either maybe granted uh, citizenship probably not yeah. or just kicked out in the street and end up being reported to INS and end up yeah. getting you know booted and there's literally like a straw man character that's like that's like, I say send them home where the, the taxpayers are paying the bucks. Like, he's literally there to let the, let the people watching the movie know that you shouldn't be that guy. <laughs> yeah. These two people think this guy sucks, and they're arguing with him. Yeah, it's it's clumsy. I do think it's hearts in the right place. I think that's basically been true of all these movies. Like, at least, like, I mean, um, I but I do think the like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a very clumsy analogy, but I... If you're a 15-year-old watching this and go, oh, yeah, I can see these people. It humanizes some of the immigrants. I say some because I don't – some of them, they are just villains. It's like either either a racist caricature or evil murderers or a nice family. You, hopefully, uh, you impressionistic people watching this uh, can tell the difference between the good and the bad ones. Like it's still yeah. – it, it still has some of that. But like Danny Glover is like – is good at that. There's some sweet scenes with him and the the grandfather who gets like mur mur they just murder that whole family. By the way, like it's just, like they're they're like we gotta get the we gotta find them, and then they're like fuck, they're all murdered. Well, let's go kill them. <laughs> like it's oh they they kill they kill the the dad. They know they kill all of them. The rest of them are alive. Are you sure? Because I thought that's yeah, what that's all why those the guy kept. They, that's why the guy kept doing the the uncle figure kept doing the um the printing. Is no, those, I know, those, but those, like when they when own. they go through the body bags, I thought they're all there. That they ended up killing the whole family. Where else no, is there's the a family? Throw, there's a throwaway line that's like uh, at the end of the movie, or you know, at some point in the firefight, that the Hongs are okay. Oh, well, not a hundred percent of them. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I think that that's, that's a, there's like a sweetheart in the movie where like yeah, Murtaugh breaks the law to do the ethical thing, and while we're while we're but there's there, no consequence. There's two things where they you keep thinking there's going to be consequences for it. Like he has broken the law to do the ethical thing. <clears throat> Could be interesting. These are the police can do no wrong. The law's on their side. He's broken the law to do something that I think you and I would agree is the right thing to do. Is that going to cause him to not be a cop anymore? Is there going to be any conflict? No, he gets a mild lecture from Riggs and then that's over. And then there's another plot thread about maybe Murtaugh is on the take because he has all this money all the time. And 
Which is such a like a lame eye roll because like obviously Murtaugh, this character we've known for a long time, is not like pocketing cop money out a lot. Like he's not. We know that's not the case. And then it just leads to like a somewhat funny exchange when Mel Gibson finally confronts him on it in the final shootout, and he's like, "No, I got that money because my wife's writing all these fucking adult romance novels." Like it's like, "Oh, okay, great." Like, it's it's these two things that you think are going to maybe cause some sort of conflict in the movie about, like, whether Murtaugh's going to get taken off the case. Like, just normal, like, not original stuff, but just normal. Someone, there's suspicions against someone or he did something ethical but No good but deed illegal. goes unpunished kind of shit. Yeah, like, and it just, it's, it's, it's almost like just fodder for exchange. It's like they couldn't think of anything. For them There's to talk too much about. shit stuffed in this I know. movie. And at the end, I think it's fine to have the, you know, the births be the capper on the movie. It needs to happen in literally half the time. But, you know, um, the, I'm fine with, with that. I don't like the final line, whatever. But I will say, just jumping back to the Chinese family thing, it is very interesting to me. Like, I, I made a... And the thing that I said at the beginning of the episode, that this is, like, perhaps the only pro-cop, pro-immigrant movie, um, which I'm sure there were old movies that did that, because it shows you how, like, the the political points and how these nexuses work and how our political talking points are just shift over time. And that what's right is right is always right, right? Yeah. But um, well-meaning people can engage in racism or, you know, pro-propaganda uh, and well-meaning are movies that you know are associated with um the worst excesses of copaganda like the lethal yeah. weapon series also can um have like a surprising heart that they're like firmly a pro pro immigrant movie and i i really liked that bit an interesting piece here is that because um of specifically like white women in the suburbs um People now think human trafficking means uh, people stolen from Walmart parking lots and put into sex slavery. Yeah. Um, when in oh, reality, don't forget order the, from Wayfair. <laughs> yes, or order from Wayfair. <laughs> when in reality, and this is a statistically backed statement, human trafficking is largely immigrants being brought into this country, perhaps illegally, um, and then. Uh, in order to get their documents back, in order to get paid, in order to have some sort of secured housing, in order for someone to actually, like, make them look like a, leg a, a legal citizen with paperwork, a documented immigrant, um, they, uh, they get taken advantage of by profiteers, by monsters. Uh, that is the most <coughs> common form of human trafficking is someone's like, you're going to be working in my blah you're going to be working on my blah until um, I say so. And then the person may or may not get what they were promised at all. Yeah. That's way more common than the fictional basically has never happened idea that a woman is abducted from a Walmart parking lot and then sold. Well, I know you say that, but you haven't seen. I can't remember the name of the movie. Get the joke right. <laughs> Heart of Thunder. Sound, sound of Sound of Justice. Sound of Justice. What is it is called? It's called. Sound of Thunder? <laughs> so, sound of Thunder is a different thing. That's, I think, if you accidentally go back in time and step on a butterfly, a kid's taken from a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> um, I don't remember Sound of Freedom? 
Sound of Freedom. There we go. God. Uh, yeah, I think you should watch that, and then I think you'll be educated once you've done your own research by watching the <laughs> documentary film. Um, the I, I I think I'm done talking about this. I will yeah, my fi- my done. my final thoughts are that I I kind of said last week that like I think Lethal Weapon three is fundamentally a sloppy movie with bad themes that I enjoyed the hell out of watching. And I said, I'm never going to watch Lethal Weapon 3 in a vacuum, but if I've watched Lethal Weapon 1 and Lethal Weapon 2, I probably will watch Lethal Weapon 3 because I get it's it scratches an itch. Um, I don't think I will watch – like if I – if I'm three years from now and have a lazy Saturday and end up watching Lethal Weapon 1, 2, and 3, it's not a good day to die hard where I will never think about it or ever discuss it again and I it was brutal the whole time. It's just like I I think my fix would end with three. I This movie's three stars. There's a lot of stuff I, I like in it. There's too much stuff I actively dislike. <coughs> Chris Rock, some of the other things we talked about for me to go to me to say this is worth 130 minutes of my time. I would just move on to a Die Hard or a Matrix if I just want like a I, I and or one of the other movies that we'll probably talk about this summer or this spring or whatever. When it's like if I want that kind of big bombastic practical effects, stunt driven explosion, 80s and 90s action movies with likable characters. I don't think I would choose this one. Like I, I this may be the last time unless someday I'm watching it with my kids and we watch all four Lethal Weapon movies. Um I this might be the last time I watch it. I didn't get much out of this honestly besides I, like I didn't yeah. hate it. It has enough things through there, but it's I'm not going to watch it again probably. I would say the greatest strength of this month probably for me is that um I am now even more comfortable in the fact that I like watching Lethal Weapon around Christmas time. Yeah. Um, and that uh, even more comfortable with the fact that the series evolved to be a grosser beast. Yeah. And that grosser beast uh, is what people associate with the series, which is why it kind of retroactively works backwards. Yeah. Um, so people think it's dumb. Um, it happens with horror franchises all the time where now the, like the Michael Myers mask, you have to work so hard to make it scary because (laughs) there were, there were literally like five of the dumbest horror movies of all time, uh, stapled in between the actual ones that work. Um, so, you know, that's why, uh, Hellraiser is like almost like a meme online and like, you have to actually like be like, no, the first two movies are good. Like you know like you can it happens a lot in horror series but i also think it happens in like action movie series i think the grosser excesses of the later movies is reflecting yeah backwards in a way that's not totally fair but that's what culture does so i hope george lucas purchases the rights and just removes the chris rock character and <laughs> i mean he literally adds nothing to i replaced chris movie. rock with a walkie-talkie uh, <laughs> that way it's he's non-lethal. <laughs> he just comes on screen and then it's just dead air. Like, <sighs> yeah. Um, we're next month's gonna be fun, Peter. We're doing. We had a, we we actually have a lot of ideas kicking around. We're gonna be uh we're gonna be back in our normal weekly routine, same bat time, same bat channel. But uh. We were going to do something a little more heady, a little more science fiction-y. Instead, we're taking a a little pivot and doing something that we've talked about doing more of on this show, um, which is outright comedies. And I think we're tackling 
uh, someone who has, I, I mean, along with like Monty Python and Mystery Science Theater 3000, I can't think of a more like, like, I can't think of anyone else who was more influential to be like, I did not know that they could make movies like this. And this is the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. And that is one, Mr. Brooks, the Kevin Costner character who's a serial killer and maybe related to Dane Cook. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Does he kill uh, Dane Cook? Maybe he's not related to I him. think he kills Dane Cook in a graveyard. Is that, is that what happens? I mean, so if we all could live that life, I think we'd all choose to be Mr. Brooks. But anyways, <laughs> we're doing Mel Brooks. Yes. Peter, what movies are – you have a name for the month. What I do have a name for the month. Um, and it's uh, called You Couldn't Make Blazing Saddles Today because most of the principal cast is dead. Uh, that is going to be the producers, Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, and Young Frankenstein. But in not the order they were released, yeah, in the order they were released, and which means yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure whether Young Frankenstein comes before or after Blazing Saddles. Honestly, yes. we'll we'll check the release dates, um, and we may talk about some of the other uh, movies too. We we did have a debate about like, do we do Robin Hood Men in Tights? I think was probably more formative for kids our age, even if we went mm-hmm. back and watched some of these. Um, <coughs> But I feel like Spaceballs is more interesting to talk about because I, I think that was my was my second Mel Brooks movie, but it was the one that I think was like, oh, I literally didn't know that you could just do this because young I saw Young Frankenstein first, but that was um, that actually I just talked about this on the Swamp Flicks podcast where that almost works as a sequel to serious Frankenstein movies yes. with a, with a slight twist of humor Spaceballs was like oh they can just do a star wars movie that's not star wars and only jokes um just for jokes <laughs> has this ever happened to you have they made a star wars movie that's just for jokes <laughs> call me right now please and, and i think that we, we we really wanted to i wanted to break it up because we were we're gonna be doing a lot of action heavy movies yeah. over the course of the year and i wanted to try and do something uh that puts us on a different track um, we're going to be kind of talking about Mel Brooks's career overall. Um, yeah. And, yeah, we might come back at some point and do, you know, Mel Brooks B-sides or something. Yeah. Um, but the... the, we, uh, the well, you haven't even seen is, The Producers or movie. High Anxiety or Silent Movie. Like, I was surprised. I haven't seen Silent Movie, seen. The Producers. Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen... I also... You and I have not seen... Uh, was it Life Sucks? Uh, I think it's... Light, I have not seen Life Stinks, which was his last movie. Life Stinks. Uh, and I haven't seen the Twelfth Chair, which I've actually heard is like more. It's one. Of, I think it might be a second movie, which I'm excited. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to try to watch both of those so I can complete the filmography. I don't know. Did he direct History of the World Part Two? And I've only heard ghastly things about it, so I think that means I can avoid it uh, to complete his his uh, filmography. But I will say, Dracula Dead, loving it, was one of those examples of like. Is, is there something wrong with me or something wrong with the movie? Because it has Leslie Nielsen and it's made by Mel Brooks and I don't like it and I'm in the seventh grade. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I just watched that in Spooktober. We didn't do a Spooktober wrap-up this year. Um, I don't know if we're going to do an annual wrap-up for 2022. I think we'll do the 2022 thing at some point. We have our guest who we would never replace 
they're also really busy right now, so we'll figure out a time when all of us have time to do a four-hour episode, but it'll come. Maybe yeah. June. Yeah. I don't know, Peter. Maybe June 2027. <laughs> Yeah, we'll do it. Babies have uh, thrown our, our, our podcast off a little bit, yeah. but we're, we're getting back on track. A lot of things going on in all of our lives right now. Yes. Yeah. But we'll be back next week with the producers. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches peter and aaron <laughs>